Welcome to Season 2 of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman. If you haven't already, go check out my new website. You can view the latest episode, fan favorites, and even submit a question to future guests. You can visit the website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. You can also find the link in the show notes. The song you just heard is Thunderstruck by ACDC, and it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Jim Miller. So this guy really doesn't need much of an introduction. Jim, or Millboy as they call him, was a two-time Division II national champion at UNI. He then went on to coach the Warburg Knights to 10 national team titles. Jim is now a motivational speaker and the director of, ne- of the National Museum Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum. Jim also collaborated with Kyle Klingman and released a book titled Do It Anyway. If you want to purchase the book, head to CoachJimMillerSpeaking.com or simply click on the link in the show notes. And today, July 5th, is also Coach Miller's 70th birthday. So a big happy birthday shout out to Millboy. Otherwise, please sit back, relax, and enjoy Coach Jim Miller. So what's going on? Oh, not much, man. We had a big weekend a couple weekends ago, and we're yeah. just recovering from that. And then we got another week uh, event, July 20th to 22nd. So working toward that. Yeah, what's that event? It's a pro, pro event, which people come in from all over the country. It's crazy. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll have, like, you know, pro people. WWE type people come in and, and really? uh, they have a blast. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun event. Yeah. How was the Hall of Fame event? That looked pretty sweet. Yeah, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah, we were sold out. We had actually we had three events. Thursday night, we had a social. Mm-hmm. Friday, we had a golf out in it in the morning and then the Hall of Fame event in, in the evening. So all of them went good. Yeah. How do you get a hold of those people to let them know they're being inducted? Ah, uh, if I don't know. Uh, usually a guy like Kyle Klingman knows everything. He wrote my book. Yep. Uh, yep. We're good friends. So he, he he's like a dictionary encyclopedia. <laughs> wrestling. So usually he knows or he'll get it for me within a minute or two. So mm-hmm. yeah. does he also work? With no, you? he's in, he was flow. He's flow wrestling. He's flow. Okay. Okay. He's totally flow wrestling. Mm-hmm. But he's pretty much the one that talked me into 
him and Gable actually talked me into this job, which was yeah. really a good thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask how you ended up where you're at now. Yeah. You know, after coaching, like, did you just expect to just sort of sail and sail off? Yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> I mean, but I was getting lazy and my wife, she was like, she wasn't having it when this, when the job came open. I couldn't decide. I mean, I, I was at Warburg for six years after I retired, just teaching. Mm-hmm. But I was bored. I was, you know, I was getting lazy. Mm-hmm. She said, and she's right. <laughs> and so when this came up, dude, this is perfect for me. Wrestling all the time, you know, youth, high school, college, international. We're just supporting wrestling, men, women. Mm-hmm. So it's been a blast, you know, and it's a no brainer. Yeah, I'm back to Waterloo. Waterloo is my hometown. Uh, that's been fun, reconnecting with a lot of people, and so it's been, yeah, it's been, you know, lifting up wrestling twenty four seven. Pretty much what we're trying to do. Yeah, do you get much uh, much traction from out of state? Oh yeah, come yeah. through the museum. We do. Yeah, yeah, nice. we do. Yeah, and so you don't know day to day who might come in. You know, it's you know, Gable Stevenson walked in two weeks ago just out of the blue, you know, and, you know, (laughs) things like that. And just, just, there's good surprises like that all the time. Maybe not that big a name, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. How much wrestling do you still, do you still watch? It sounds like. Oh, all the time. Yeah. We go to last year with the girls state tournament and Iowa, the boys state tournament went to the division two, which was in Cedar Rapids, went to the division one. I've been to the NAIs, obviously D threes. So we've, we try to hit as many as we can and it's wow. been a blast. You know, we've been to Iowa state last Iowa state, Arizona state, went to a couple of Iowa meets. We went to a uh, number of UNI meets and yeah, so it's our calendar gets uh, filled up in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's needless to say, you're not too uh, lazy anymore. Yeah. I look forward to getting up and coming to work, man. Yeah. Yeah, did, did were you still like that when you were coaching, or like how did oh, you yeah. sort of you know? I mean, coaching I was, and then when I got out of coaching, it was just teaching, and and uh, you know I wasn't even teaching every single day. Yeah, and so it was just a different. It's a it'd be great. I mean, it was you look back on it, man, all the off time you had. I mean, you had summer totally <laughs> off. You had mm-hmm. you know I just I just wasn't used to it. I'm yeah. used to, I was used to everything, something every day. Either it was, uh, if you weren't competing off season, you're recruiting hundred, you know, hundred mile an hour, usually mm-hmm. never, never stopped. And then you're doing camps and clinics and so forth. So it was, you know, just different. It was good, but just different. Yeah. Did you ever, how did you keep yourself fresh? You know, that's a lot to pack into a year in and year out. It's hard, you know, and that's one reason why I knew I was, it was time for me to get out. I coached 37 years and, and it was a nonstop never ending deal. You know, if you wanted to be good, right. And I wanted to, I wanted to be good and I wanted to win. And uh, so you just had to, you just had to dig in and uh, you know, cause you never know what uh, on recruiting, you know, I mean, it's a never ending deal. You got uh, junior college potential. You got uh high school kids from all over the place. You got, uh, you know, potential every once in a while, you get a D one transfer kind of guy. And then 
you know, but you got to keep your ear to the ground. And where are these people? Uh, who's looking? You know, and now with the, I never had to deal with the transfer portal yeah. or the NIL, which I'm glad I didn't have to deal with all that. <laughs> so it was just another layer of stuff that now that uh, coaches are dealing with. Mm-hmm. How did you guys, how did you stay focused year in and year out? You know, with, with as much winning as you did, you know, it, it can become sort of delusional that you just are expected to win or that you should win. Well, that happened for sure. You know, kind of created our own monster actually, right. you know, because uh, you know, they, we hadn't won a conference in 13 years when I, when I got there, you know, hadn't won a national title in anything in any right. sport. It just wasn't, I mean, not that we weren't, you know, we had some good kids and everything, but it just wasn't a national championship type culture. You know, mm-hmm. it just wasn't uh, something that, and it happens everywhere, you know, whether it might be in business. Well, we just never did it before. We've never achieved at that level before, you know, and really, is that a good reason? I mean, I, <laughs> why not? I mean, right. why can't we? Who said we can't? You know, that kind of thing. What if we did? That's the questions I was asking myself all the time, you know, when we started to change the culture, you know, and but yeah, was it hard? Yeah. I mean, it was constant. You know, it was it was uh, you just kept climbing. You tried to climb the ladder. And and when you're when you do get to the top of the ladder, it's not easy to stay there. So mm-hmm. you just had to keep keep striving, man. Yeah, what made you believe that you could create that winning culture at Warburg? I mean, you just said they never won a national title. It's been 13 years since they won a conference title. Like, what made you feel like Warburg could be this place where championships are are born or meant? I just to be? didn't see why it couldn't happen. You know, I, I just why couldn't it happen? I just couldn't. I just never. I mean, you can always have excuses, but. I didn't see very many. I didn't see. Uh, yeah. B- basically, I guess because we never did it before. But, you know, our facilities at that time weren't great, but they were OK. You know, I'm, and the same thing with uh, we had won before. I mean, we had won uh, conference titles, number of conference titles uh, before in the history of the school. And so but what if we uh, and, and when I got there, there was two All-Americans on the team. And so. You know, but what if we had five or six All Americans on the team? What, why couldn't that happen? Mm-hmm. So I just uh, that was my thought process, and I really thought we could. And then when we started to get some uh, other kids that thought they could, you know, that's the biggest difference. Just how you think is has everything to do with it. Mm-hmm. How you think has everything to do with how you perform and what you attain in anything. You know, and so as we started to think that, hey, maybe we can start doing this. And really, we did it. And it it came quick because the second year we won the first conference title that long and we got second in the nation the second Mm -hmm. year. So that was the first trophy we had. And and so it it was on in a short period of time that all of a sudden, hey, man, we're a contender and we think this can happen. Have you always had that belief in yourself? You know, like... Ah. You know, I'll tell you what, I, I, I learned. I wasn't a real confident student athlete in, in high school. And, uh, you know, I won a couple D2 titles and mm-hmm. placed twice in D1. But people are surprised when I tell them going into my senior year of high school, I hadn't even qualified for the state tournament. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for me, a new coach came in. His name was Bill Dotson, who was a phenomenal wrestler at UNI. He had won the D2 and D1 in the same year, same, I think it was two weeks apart, first one to ever do it. 
back then, you know, obviously you could go on, you know, if you won the college division and so forth, but he came in my senior year and he was, you know, he said, uh, Jimmy, when we get to state this year and dude, that was a, that was a game changer for me. Cause I'm thinking he kept talking, he kept talking, but I just, dude, he thinks I can go to state coach thinks I can go to state, you know, raise my level of thought, raise my excitement level, raise my work ethic level. But, you know, so someone else, sometimes someone else believes in you more than you believe in you. And I grabbed a hold of that and I kept that with me and I kept that with me coaching. How many times that came into play, given someone, I mean, optimism and encouragement is such a big deal, mm-hmm. in my opinion, if you're going to win. You know, you don't win championships without optimism, thinking you can, and uh, encouragement of, of other kids because sometimes – you know, very few kids come in thinking, hey, I'm going to be the national champ this year. You know, they think maybe they think hopefully, but but uh, some kids come hey, and, and a lot of kids, they got, they got to quit ruling them, ruling themselves out, like thinking I can't do it. You know, because that, that that that's there a lot. I was there as in high school. Ah, probably not going to be me. I'm not, you know. But w- what if it is that, that you're changing the process, like, for instance, yeah, we're not very good right now, but we're going to be. That was a game changer because a lot of athletes took a chance on me, took a chance on the program when we weren't real good right away, you know, because I had optimism that we could be. I, I really had thought process that that could happen. And and then for, fortunately it did. Wow. Yeah. How do you, you know, how do you, it's easy to say, that you're, you know, when you say to a kid, we're going to be good or you're going to be good, but how do you get them to actually believe it? You know, you just keep saying it. You keep saying it and the actions will start happening. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, we started beating teams we hadn't beaten in a long time, you know, and it all comes back to hard work, just competing all out, you know, going seven minutes hard, you know, that that's a big deal. I mean, fatigue is a fear of fatigue is a big deal. You know, all that I had it, you know, almost everybody at some point has that, you know, they're scared to get tired when they just, there's a big difference in uh, someone scared to get tired and just, you know, embracing it. Is, I call it making fatigue your friend, you know, Hey, I know I'm going to get tired. I hope I do because I do better after I get tired. Let's just get tired, you know? And uh, because once you know, you can operate there, once you're tired, it's no big deal. And you do it every, you do it in practice. I mean, you learn it in practice, you know? And so that's the, that's the little stepping stones that happen, stuff like that. Confidence wise, confidence in yourself, confidence in your shape, uh, believing in the program, believing that, Hey man, good things are going to happen for us instead of always somebody else. That's going to be me on the podium instead of somebody else. It's going to be our team getting called up to get a trophy instead of some other team all the time, all that stuff played into a played into it. And, you know, and then, then, then it, really starts to happen boom i mean here we go you know because they see it start to happen or or they're in the process of it happening is that also sort of you kind of alluded to back when you were wrestling you know you you were a senior in high school and then you went to you and i which at the time was division two is like did you start to believe like when did you start where was that belief? Yeah, that's a good question, man. And, and when I got there, I wasn't. No, man, I was, you know, I was four string when I started. Uh, by the end of the year, I was 
second string and one weight. I went down a weight and made the varsity, but it was teammates that uh, raised me up and coaches that believed that, hey, man, you can do this. But I had teammates that uh, a guy named Mike McCready, who was a senior when I was a freshman, Mike uh, won Division Two. The only guy to beat him in Division One was Chris Taylor from Iowa State. And, uh, you know, and, and other people that came in with me that really thought, hey, we're going to do this, you know, they kind of drug me along, you know, kind of like I grabbed onto them and they pulled me up, you know, like not only athletic wise, but thinking wise, you know, confidence wise. And so that's kind of where that happened for me. You know, when you go through it personally on your own uh, uh, career, it made it a lot easier for me to understand when I'm coaching, Hey man, these kids just need encouragement. Just like I did. They need help. Just like I did. They need, they need optimism that I could do it just like, you know, they, they could do it just like I did. So that, that played a big factor for me all the way through coaching. I mean, I coached high school for uh, seven years and then went to UNI for eight and, and uh, Wartburg for 22. So all, but all of them were the same. All the athletes, no matter what level, they need both encouragement and optimism that they can do it. You know, how they think has everything to do with it or has a whole bunch to do with what happens. So, yeah. And there's that sort of that winning culture that you're talking about. Teammates even saying, hey, I believe in you. You know, it's oh, yeah. the coach, yeah. you know, sometimes you feel like the coach almost has to say that, you know. But when you all of a sudden you have respected teammates saying it too, and the more you get people chirping in your ear, the better. It is. And and after a while, like at Warburg, I can remember so many times different athletes. Coach, quit worrying about it. We got this, man. We got this. <laughs> okay. And they did. I mean, they just felt like, hey, man, we're going to do this. Ain't no problem. Quit worrying about it, coach. Because, me, you know, I was antsy or I was nervous or whatever it might be. Yeah. You were antsy. So did you oh, get nervous? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I was terrible. I was terrible sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's almost like life and death, you know, it seems like looking back, you know, it was just when we, uh, my wife's, my wife had a profound saying one time, uh, we won the national title, but I called her and said, man, that was ugly. I mean, it wasn't like we killed her. I mean, we, it was an ugly tournament, but we won. And she said, there is nothing there's no such thing as an ugly national championship. You know, she's hundred percent right. She's hundred percent. Yeah, you're right. And then she'd say, you know what? Some, some things are, everything's better when we win, you know, at the end of the year, if we won summer and spring, so much better, you know, then when maybe we didn't, we didn't win and maybe we had a close that we didn't win or heartbreaking losses, which you always have, even when you win, you typically have some heartbreaking losses, but and so you know it's just uh, you just appreciate, you learn to appreciate uh, uh, opportunities that you have to do when your kids do well, and you celebrate, you know. Because when I first started at Warburg, man, I was like, it was almost like, and I heard from some of the athletes, hey man, we it's almost like we could never please you. <laughs> you know, nothing was good enough, you know, and who wants to wrestle for somebody like that? Or who wants to work for a boss like that? You know, mm -hmm. so I needed to learn and I did, but I need to learn to show some joy, show some fun. Let's have fun here. You know, and that made everything better for me, too. Mm -hmm. How did you start to have some fun? Because that could be. Oh, I, just had, I had kids that just almost they were so fun to be around, you know, and just. <laughs> 
they just they just brought me along with them. Come mm-hmm. on, coach. We just won the title or come on, coach. Or, you know, and I started laughing and, you know, they, they had a habit of doing it even in practice, you know, just having fun too. have a hard practice, but you can have some fun too, you know, before and after and all that. So, yeah, it was good for me. I learned a lot from my athletes. Yeah. What are, besides having fun, what are, what are a couple other things you may have learned from your athletes? I mean, just that, uh, you don't have to be a great high school wrestler all the time to be a great college wrestler. We had a lot of uh, high school kids come in and do great things. You know, uh, kids that so many never won a state title. Some of them, uh, you know, a guy like Leroy Gardner was a national champ heavyweight for us. He never placed in state. He's from Minnesota, which is a good wrestling state, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of kids uh, not place and go on to win titles. You know, my own son did that. He was, TJ was uh, fourth and sixth in state, won a national title, three-time All-American. But that happened uh, quite often, you know, which really uh, came down to, hey, man, you, the, the kids that uh, get caught up in the culture, and because I didn't change those guys that much. I mean, might have had I had some impact. Other coaches on the staff had an impact. But a lot of times it was, uh, the teammates that really had a lot of impact uh, on bringing each other up. So, and so you just, it was just momentum sometimes. Yeah. How did you keep formulating the right team? You know, it can be difficult to go into a recruit and talk to them and get one version. And then when they get on campus, you know, things might change or whatever. And then all of a sudden the team doesn't seem to gel as well. How did you, Year in and year. Yeah, every every team's different. I mean, even if you have a lot of kids coming back, even if you have one third of the new, maybe you have ten freshmen every year. You got a new, you got a new scenario. Yeah, no matter what, you know, even if you had quite a few of the team, say you had seven out of the ten varsity back, and but it's still a different scenario, right? So you had to, uh, you know, just be open, and I kind of enjoyed that actually. Really. Cause you always had to, had to reevaluate after every year. And then when we started a new year, you're evaluating as you go. And nothing was ever exactly the same year to year, mm-hmm. you know, and, and nothing was actually exactly the same, how we coached year to year. And so you, you make adjustments as you go. And, and, and I think you need to, you know, you got different kids and, and you got different uh, scenarios every year. And, and uh, I enjoyed it actually that, Hey man, it's not going to be exactly the same. And we got some other kids that we're going to have to depend on to help us get there. Yeah. It so. seems almost in a way you could look at it as the half, you know, glass half full, like it's new year. It's refreshing something yeah. different every year. Pretty much. It's not the same old thing every year. You're day in and day out. Yeah. No, you're right. And I enjoyed that part of it really. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the, you always have a bunch of unknowns. You know, you got if you got three or four new kids in the lineup, you got three or four unknowns. If you got 40 kids on the team and 20 of them have a problem, you got 20 problems right. that you're dealing with, too. I mean, some of them might be academically. Some of them might be, you know, I'm homesick, my, whatever. And uh, just a, a natural thing that's going to happen. So you just had to be on your toes. You had to have a good staff that help you deal with all that stuff. And, and uh, fortunately for... For me, on my career and uh, at, at Warburg, it worked out. Mm-hmm. How did you handle? Because sometimes one of the toughest things a coach can face is when a wrestler just 
either, you know, they just quit or they want to transfer or whatever. Sometimes that might cause the coach to look inward and start doubting how they're doing things. How did you handle when people or your wrestlers wanted, you know, were? Well, you know, sometimes uh, it was just better for them. You know, if, if I thought it was better, man, you wish them well, you know. And sometimes it might be, hey, man, I, I'm, I've been stuck behind this these two guys for the last two years, and I got a year left, and I want to wrestle somewhere. You know, it really didn't happen very often, mm-hmm. but if it if that was a situation, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you know, good luck, go for it. You know, but uh, you know, you just my goal was I just wanted everybody to have a good experience, no matter what. You know, we've had a lot of guys that never made the varsity had a good experience and. Uh, gave back to the program, became really good, whatever they are, coaches, doctors. You know, I had a number of uh, young people that I think we had 10 or 11 doctors that went through the program. You know, they're out there practicing today, you know. So that's pretty cool, you know, because, you know, part of my goal was everybody graduates too, you know, and I only had one that didn't graduate in 22 years that wow. stayed out. Yeah, stayed out. So. I'm uh, pretty proud of that as well. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Um, what about you? What did you graduate with? What was What's your, that? What was your degree? What did you graduate My with? My degree, I was a BA in business education, PE minor, <laughs> and I had a, three classes in driver's ed to be, get me certified. Mm-hmm. And you know what? In seven years of high school teaching, I only taught driver ed. That was it. You know, the... <laughs> The one I had almost the least experience in, but it just worked out that way. And I liked it. I liked driver ed. That was fun. And uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. But uh, then my master's was in uh, educational administration leadership, like be a high school principal or something. I mean, I never did that either. So <laughs> it only, is what it is. <laughs> I was going to say the only teaching you ever did was driver's ed. Yeah, driver's ed. The only Yeah, <laughs> I taught it all through the year and in the summer most of the time. Yeah. How do you, so my uncle's a driver's ed teacher and, you know, you just kind of just sit there and drive and teach them how to drive. Is that all you were doing? You did that, but also taught the classroom, you know, I had classroom as well. I had fun with it. And most of and I I was one year at Riceville, Iowa and six at Charles city. Yeah. Most of those kids already knew how to drive pretty Mm -hmm. much. I mean, you had to teach them some skills and safety and all that kind of thing, but most of them had, pretty good skill. So it wasn't real. Uh, once in a while you had one that could, you know, it took a while to get out of the parking lot. Right. I mean, had no idea <laughs> that was, that was a little hairy sometimes, but uh, for the most part, I enjoyed driver ed. And you know what? One reason I enjoyed driver ed is because they really wanted to get through driver's ed. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted the driver's license. Right. Yeah, right. Well, you know, if I ever had trouble with, and it didn't happen very often, but occasionally, if someone was acting up in class or whatever, not doing what they need to do, I just say, Hey man, here's a pass to study hall. You can take it next year. And Oh my goodness, Mr. Miller, please. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that. You know? So it became a, you know, you think about it, how much, I don't, I was the same way when I was 15, 16, I wanted to, I wanted to driver's license. I wanted to drive. So they were very motivated for driver ed. So it was cool. (laughs) That's all you taught. What did you teach at Warburg then? I taught fitness management, PE uh, stuff, cool. uh, mm-hmm. sport management. Yeah, so it was uh, a little bit different, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, that sounds like a fun class. Yeah, no, it was. I taught the uh, best class on campus, I always said, was 
outdoor recreation. I taught mm-hmm. outdoor recreation for every year I was there. So, you know, almost, let's see, what would that be? 27 years, which was May term. Warburg had a May term. So, you know, you had mm-hmm. one class in May. Mm-hmm. And so ours was outdoor rec. So we went biking, we went canoeing, we went, and then we took a trip. We took a trip uh, down to Arkansas, Buffalo River, what? and camping and canoeing for, you know, about five, six days. That was a blast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it, I didn't, I don't think I, everybody got through, the, you know, if you enjoyed fun and usually it was pretty nice out typically because we went canoeing on the cedar river to practice make sure we knew how to canoe and stuff we went camping a little bit and we cooked out outside cooked some stuff so no it was it was fun man yeah we're um may term is that like a five week or is that like a condensed pretty much four week three hours a day every day yeah oh wow three hours a day every day yeah nice well that reminds me uh we used to come to the Warburg team camp. Oh, sure. Back in the day. Um, yeah. One time you had it out on the football field. Yeah, I remember that. The mats were just scorching. Oh, oh. Holy cow, yes. man. That's yeah. the only time we did that. That's the only time. Yes. yes. And yeah, the, especially you had a black mat out there, and that was yeah. obviously the worst. But man, that was a good idea. Fun. It was. It was a great idea. Yeah. Um, gosh, those were some fun, fun camps to go to. Yeah. You know. Um, that was back in the back in the day. Who I think Malachek was still on your staff. Yeah, Malachek started those. Yeah, and now Keller has continued it. But uh, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did basically camps, technique camps when I was there. Team camps at that time wasn't a thing. No, you know? but right. man, when they caught on, it it came big time. And now, my God, there's so many huge camps out there. Malachek's camps in a lacrosse right now, or wherever they are in Wisconsin. They're at a mm-hmm theme park or you know a water park or something yeah, but they're the dells yeah the dells that's right and so i've been up there a couple of times to his camp man they a lot of people got a lot of camps really going big time right now and most of them are the you know competition bring your team and you get to wrestle you know 12 13 14 times which is cool you know mm-hmm. yeah so he still you said he still has those warburg teams. yeah oh yeah he's he's killing it up there with those camps yeah yeah. Do you still make an appearance, go up there and check things out? I haven't been there for a while. You know, I, I just usually went up and spoke to the coaches is what I, and that's what I, I like to do, you know, and uh, let the young guys do the technique and stuff, you know, that, that wears me out. Yeah. I can do, I can do, I do one occasionally, but every time even a two hour section, man, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so I just stick with uh, trying to help the coaches. And I really like doing that. Cause I really think that, you know, if you can make an impact on the coaches, you'll make an impact on all their kids, you know, exactly. because the coaches will bring it, you know, the certain things that they might like to, to their team. So I really enjoy trying to help coaches. Yeah. That's, I've always done that. When did you realize that you kind of had this, you know, this talent, I guess, for motivational speaking? You know what? I, the, the best thing happened when I was uh, in college, uh, my worst class was uh, public speaking. I really? hated it. Oh, dude, I hated it. But uh, my college coach named Chuck Patton, he would take me and other people to camps and make us teach. And uh, that was the start of it. Just getting in front of people, breaking down what you're going to say, you know, thinking about it ahead of time, stuff like that. And uh, that really helped. And then from that point on, when I started coaching, you know, just being in being, a, you know, when I became head coach at Charles City, 
being in charge of the program, talking to your parents, talking to the fans. And then when you get in a community like that, you know, you're going to the Kiwanis Club, you're going to the Lions Club. You know, they want you to come out at noon and talk to the talk to them. And so I just got more and more comfortable with it. And then toward the probably second half of my career at Warburg, it started like, hey, you know, come talk to our business, come talk to, you know, this group or that group. And and it became more commonplace. And then after I got out of coaching, it really took off. You know, that was 10 years ago with corporations, uh, companies, uh, talking to the school, the you know, the whole student body, those kind of things. And so, yeah, I've enjoyed it. And, and to this day, you know, I got one Saturday that's coming up and, you know, I enjoy getting a chance to try to make an impact, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and maybe I'm just talking, I'm there. The event for me is usually an hour long, uh, but uh, uh, it's been, it's been good, man. I, I really enjoy trying to help, you know, and, they, and they'll usually say, hey, man, can you talk about this or that, you know, uh, whatever they're struggling with a little bit, but uh, so funny how it's not funny, but it's, it's very interesting how sports connects to business, you know, same things that happen yes. that you need uh, in, in athletics in, in same thing happens in life, you know, mm-hmm. same thing that happened in your business to improve, you know, and those kind of things. So it's been a natural thing, man. And, and, and uh, one, I, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, ever since I'm starting to get older, you know, I'm 31 now, I'm really starting to see the correlation between sports and, like you said, life and even business. I use that quite a bit, like when I talk to my dad, you know, about sports and how basically the coach is the manager and the hierarchy and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And it's it's amazing when you start, when you just kind of break it down. Uh, what... um. What about your book? You said that Kyle Klingman helped you write a book. Oh, yeah, Kyle. We had started, and he wanted to do it for quite a while. And uh, we started it maybe the year or two before COVID hit. I didn't know if we'd ever get done. You know, basically, he asked questions. I'd talk, and he'd write stuff down, or he'd record it. And Kyle's really good. Kyle Klingman was really good at that stuff, man. And obviously, writing Gable's second book, uh, he'd been through the process, but – but yeah, man, do it anyway, right here. That's the name of the book. But when COVID hit, hey, man, all of a sudden we had all kinds of time to do it, mm-hmm. to finish it. And uh, so that was really the only good thing in COVID I can think of. But that did, uh, yeah, we got we got through it. And and uh, it's been great, man. I've had that. We've re- re- reordered three times now. And uh, we've sold books in every state in the union. And and uh and we haven't ad- really advertised it all that much, but, uh, you know, it's under coach Jim Miller speaking.com website and just go to shop and you buy it. And that's where most people do, or they'll buy it at one of our events, uh, that we have. So, uh, it's been cool, man. And, you know, I got to tell a lot of stories that connected and a lot of stories connect to, like we said, business life, those kind of things that have impacted me. And there's takeaways after each chapter. So there's a lot of cool stuff in there, man, that uh, not not. And and one comment is, hey, man, you don't have to be a wrestling person to to, to enjoy what's in the book. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's the story. Yeah, nice. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious now about your your family structure. You know, what was it like growing up? 
My family structure was, I, I, I grew up, we, we didn't have much, but I was the youngest of six kids, house, 812 square, square foot house. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we did it, to be honest with you. I don't know how my mom and dad uh, did it, but uh, they slept on a fold out. Get this. They, my, you know, I didn't even appreciate this until later. I didn't even think about that that much because I just grew up in it. But mm-hmm. there's two small bedrooms. We had six kids. My mom and dad slept on a fold-out couch for 15 years. Holy cow. In the, in the living room. 15 years before they got into a bed, before enough kids left that they got, <laughs> got into a bedroom. Wow. And so, dude, I, I, I so appreciate having my own bedroom to this day, you know. Mm-hmm. So my, my dad was a plaster. You know, he was a construction guy. My mom was a state. Obviously, she had to stay home and take care of six kids. But... Uh, later in her life, when I was the only one there, she started, she was a seamstress, worked for Powers Manufacturing, who does a lot of sports uh, paraphernalia. So, but uh, I, I was really lucky. My, my, one of my older brothers uh, was into wrestling, East Waterloo, and he started, you know, teaching me. There was no youth wrestling back then. I started wrestling uh, officially in seventh grade, but I wrestled on the, you know, at home with him. He showed me a lot. I was the best guy in the neighborhood because I was really the only one that uh, knew any wrestling. And that was good because I was also the smallest kid in the neighborhood, you know? <laughs> so, so that's how it was. And, and, and good thing for me in Waterloo, Iowa, that time, my God, wrestling was a big deal. Right. All sports was a big deal, but wrestling, yeah, and you had a lot of prestige if you were on the wrestling team. And, you know, I walked into East Waterloo, I was 112 pounds, you know, and, but, but I was a wrestler. So, you know, Hey man, you're a wrestler, you know, it was a big deal, you know, Five years before I got there, Dan Gable got done with West Waterloo. I mean, it, Waterloo was, it was the place, yeah. you know, to be Bob Siddons at West Tide. And my coach, when I first got there, Dave Natvig had won, I think, seven state titles. Bob won 11 state titles at West Waterloo. And uh, it was just a thing to do. I, I can remember my sophomore year, I was on JV and walked into West Waterloo for the dual meet. And it was almost full at the start of JV. And it was overflowing, obviously, for, uh, by the time the varsity got there. So it was just a, a – and then the Waterloo Courier, you'd be on the front page mm-hmm. uh, with wrestling, you know. So it was a big deal. And, and obviously when Gable went through before I got there, even up the up the ante, even more, <laughs> you know. So I was just lucky growing up where I did and, and uh, getting into wrestling. I had a brother that kind of got me into the sport and just, you know, it stuck because I was small too. I love football, love baseball, but just size wise too, it, uh, it also made a lot of sense and I loved it. So uh, that's what happened there for me. Uh, I just right place, right time, I think. Yeah. Were you always sort of this motivated sponge of a guy it seems like that just no I don't think so I mean uh my my goal is to be a pro baseball player you know Mickey Mantle was my guy you know oh yeah man man I wanted to be pro baseball and and uh I actually had two tops Mickey Mantle rookie cards uh one sold last year for like 16 million dollars if yeah, it, you know, I was gonna say. No, trust me, trust me, that was prime. Uh, mine wouldn't have been. Mine was oh. all beat up, <laughs> you know, trading and all that stuff. You, who knew back in the day, you know, that those things would be worth something like that. But uh, I was a big baseball fan. But um, and actually, it's kind of cool. Uh, I, I I quit playing baseball probably. Uh, I think my junior year of high school. Just say I'm gonna focus on wrestling and and. Uh, 
but after I retired from Warburg, uh, two months later, I got a invitation to throw out the first pitch for the Chicago <laughs> Cubs at Wrigley Field. Now, that was cool. Yeah, Wrigley, that was cool. So I did get to go, you know, when I and I, I just reverted back when I stepped on the field at Wrigley, the actual playing field. Man, I made it. <laughs> uh, it was fun, but it was great. And I threw a good pitch and uh, we had a lot of fun that day. And uh, but, uh, yeah, I still got the pictures in my in my. Uh, uh, well, actually, or I don't know if I can turn this or not. Yeah. No way. Oh, yeah, man. And they gave me the they gave me the. Uh, are you there? Yeah. I'm, I can't see anymore. I don't know what happened. Hey, Becca. Anytime Becca's got to fix it, man. I don't know what happened. I turned it and then I you're screwed good. it up. You're good. You're good. She's, she runs this place. <laughs> she runs this place. Yeah. I'm just the pretty face of the museum. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so they actually gave me a jersey uh, with a number 10 on it. The 10 was for the 10 national titles at Warburg, but the 10, it was really cool because it's a retired number for the Cubs, Ron Santo. Uh, a yeah. number. So you just don't see though. You just don't get a number like that. It was pretty special. So, uh, wow. but that was fun. But uh, yeah. Anyway. Wow. So uh, I, I hear that a lot. Unfortunately, that baseball and wrestling. You know, a lot of wrestlers I've talked to. You, one of yours, especially Cole Welter, was a big baseball player. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I think he yeah. played those throughout high school. But like, they have to make a decision. You know. Yeah, Cole was really good athlete all the way around and really good in baseball. I think he's still killing it on the softball leagues. Ah, last when I talked to him, he said he he said his wife and him sort of <laughs> had the next <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he was gone okay. too much, you know, and now with the family, yeah, you know, to be at home more. Funny but how that works, he right? Was good. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to man, they were they were really good. His team, his softball team. Man. But yeah, I always feel bad when they, they say they have to, you know, they love baseball, but they have to give it up for, you know, for summer wrestling. So um, I was going to ask you where the nickname Millboy came from. Millboy came from my high school coach, my senior year, Bill Dotson. I don't know what the deal was, but one day he just started calling me Millboy. <laughs> and uh, it stuck. I mean – it's 50 years later, right? you know, not only did it stuck, it just took over, you know, because most of my, even my athletes, you know, like Millboy, my wife, Millboy, you know, my grandkids, <laughs> Grandpa Millboy is the name, you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, so I've just embraced it. I love it. Just cool. But yeah, that's came from, uh, I started my senior year of high school. Huh. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's it, what was it like coaching your son? You it was know? hard. I mean, it was hard. I think it was harder for him. I'd never done it before. I did a lot of things I that probably could have done better, you know. I'll just yeah. Uh, the best thing I did was when you know, have other coaches take over. You know, he wanted to come to Wartburg. I I took him to other colleges actually on visits because mm-hmm. number one, I didn't know if he'd ever make the team because we were loaded at that time. But uh uh I just didn't know if he wanted to be coached by his dad, you know, but right. he said hey, after the second visit, Hey, I want to come to Warburg. And then from that point on, just embraced it. You know, it was cool. I loved it. I loved 
uh, you know, having your son on the team, it was very cool. And, and then when he, uh, you know, he became an All-American, got fourth his sophomore year, and then one of his junior year, got second his senior year. I mean, he was one of the one of the anchor guys on the team, you know. And so uh, he, he, he grew up wrestling. He grew up, I think he was seven when I took the Warburg job. So he grew up. Uh, watching and he's seen what happened. He, he, he's, he knew what we were like when we were started out. He knew what had happened. You know, five years later, we won the first national title and then won a number of other ones before he got there. So uh, yeah, he, he had seen, he's seen the, how much fun it was. He's seen the joy. He's seen, he's seen the hard, hard stuff too, but yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was really good. But when other you know, Chris Ortner actually was assistant then. He did yeah. did a really he he started coaching him most of the time. Did a really good job, and uh, TJ could just you know talk to him and see, you know it just it was easier. You know, who wants to hear from your dad every day? You know, who wants <laughs> to go to practice with your dad every day when you're in college? You mm-hmm. know, and so yeah. So anyway, but it was it was one of the highlights of my career for sure. And it was, but it was, yeah. Was it easy for either one? No, not. There was plenty of times it wasn't that easy, but uh, it was also one of the highlights of my career. Yeah. And how difficult was it then the next year when he got second? It was hard. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah. I think he'd like to have that match over. I'm sure I, I, I got plenty of matches. I'd rather, I'd like to have over like all of us do, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, I think he was undefeated most all of the whole year, ranked number one and all that. And he, he deserved to be because he, he, you know, he was national champ and, and uh, hadn't got beat. So, but it's hard. Anytime that happens, you know, you don't want to see that happen, but uh, dude, I, I just uh, guy ended up being three-time all American national champ. So you, dude, you can't complain too much. Right. You know? That's hard at the time, you know, I yeah. mean, I'm sure even for yourself, it was probably, difficult at, at times you know you won two d2 national titles but yeah. never got the d1 no i know and i got second there you know so yeah i know what that feels like man yeah. Yeah. so what was that like wrestling at division two and then winning it and then having to come back and you know you earned the honor to wrestle at division one i actually loved it i really did yeah. i loved it uh because we wrestled a lot of division one teams you know my junior year we beat iowa in the west gym and I mean, we, we, and they were ranked uh, top five, I think at the time. Wow. Um, and so we beat a number of really good teams uh, and we took pride in that, you know, and, but division two was, it was a different animal back then. Uh, it was uh, my, my junior year. There was three D two, three D D two guys won the D ones. Uh, my son was sophomore year that happened twice in my career that they had three, not just one, two, they had three D two guys win division one titles, you know? And, and then those schools, for instance, my sophomore year was Clarion state and those, those, uh, but then those teams end up, you know what? Uh, we're just going to go division one. Cal poly was another one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because it was the, the tough part about it was you go through a whole national tournament just to qualify for another national tournament. Mm-hmm. Dude, that was one that had to be the hardest qualifier, the toughest. Because, uh, you know, you might have five, six matches uh, to try to get there. Now, I'll give you an example. My sophomore year, I got fourth and they took the top three that year. 
they took the top three division two guys to division one. And the, and the guy that beat me for third was a guy named Don Roan from Clarion state. And, uh, the number one seed in division one was the division two champ. But Don Roan, two weeks later, wins division one. He gets third in division two and wins division one. And so, you know, it was a different animal, man. It was a, it was not a, and I'm not saying it's easy now. It's not, but it was a grind to get there, you know? So, uh, but I enjoyed it, man. I think we had a lot of people that just cheer for the underdog. Yeah. And kind of we had a lot of people like my, my junior year was in Ames and, uh, dude, there was a lot of people cheering for you and I, Jim Miller, uh, <laughs> that year and Ken Snyder and other guys that, that made it that year for us, but just, I mean, not, not even Iowa people, but they were cheering for the little guy, you know, kind of mm-hmm. per se. So it was, I, we had a blast. I loved it. Uh, I still selfishly wish we could still do that. Mm-hmm. Not it's not going to happen. Yeah, but uh, I miss that. And you know what? Also, D three champs got to go. So it is what it is. But I, I enjoyed it. To answer your question, yeah i i was I was actually going to ask you how how just difficult that was to wrestle a national tournament and then wrestle another national tournament two weeks later. As difficult as a national tournament already is, now you're well. It was two weeks. My senior year. Dude, this was this was this was really hard. My senior year, the D twos was in East Strasburg, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and the D one was in New Jersey. We never even went home because it was only a week. Mm-hmm. It was only a week apart. That was that was yeah. ridiculously hard. So we stayed out there uh, and trained, and then you know Wednesday we had to be in New Jersey. Uh, man, I, I wish I wish I had that one to do over again because I would have came. I'd have came home, right? I'd have flew home, you know, and uh, even for the couple of days rest, it was just, it was hard because uh, there was only, there wasn't even a week in between, you know, you got done on a, you got done on a Saturday night and you had to start the next term on Thursday morning, you know? So anyway, that's Oof. tough. Yeah. Yeah. And so they took the top three from each took way. The top, they took the top three my sophomore year, but then they took the top two my junior and senior year. Dang, tough. Yeah. And, um, and in my junior year, let's see, my senior year, I had gotten second in division one, my junior year and my uh, senior year in D twos, I had to go overtime in the semis. I, luckily I won. Yeah. But if I'd have gotten beat, I wouldn't even been able to get back. So yeah, wow. it was, it was a grind, man. Gosh, what, what's that feeling like, you know, to win division two and then go to division one. And I mean, was your goal to win division one all along? Or, you know, I just did. It was, there was a lot, you know, obviously you wanted to get on the podium at first and you wanted to, yeah. And then you wanted to win, but I just tried to take it a match at a time, both those tournaments, you know, because it was just so much. It was a lot thinking about, Hey, I got to win this. And then I got to go to this other bigger tournament, even, even bigger tournament to win the next one. So yeah, it was, it was a lot. Yeah, especially like you're coming off a high of winning the national, you know, the national tournament, and then you come up short in division one. So then you're, I don't know, you're off season, yeah. like you're happy, but you're sad. It's bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the motivational uh, videos that you posted out that I like the most is your 17 step walk. Oh, sure. Um, where'd you come up with that? 
at Warburg. I mean, there were 17 steps from my locker to the wrestling room door. Yeah. And uh, early on there, I just realized, hey, man, when we when I when I come in with positive vibes, we have a better practice. Typically, we, we just have a better practice. And but I wasn't doing it intentionally. But till that point, I'm thinking, why don't I do that every day? Why don't I just do it every day? That's where it started. And I said, you know what? I am going to do that every day. So no matter what I was feeling like, because every day I didn't feel like going as much as others, you know, there's always other things, you know, maybe you got a kid in academic trouble. Maybe my wife's mad at me, maybe whatever. Right. You know, but I just got in a habit. I call it, I call it now a success habit of 17 steps. So by the time I get to that door, I will be bringing positive vibes. I am going to bring positive vibes. And, you know, on the way, I would just visualize myself throwing off virtual baggage, throwing it off. Boom. My wife's mad. This kid's in trouble. Whatever, whatever negatives might be, I'm throwing it off before I get there. And I open the door and let's go. Let's have a great day today, you know? And, and, you know, I think it did, you know, I've been told a number of times by athletes, man, it really did make a difference. You know, it made a, a consistent positive scenario. And, you know, there were times in there you had to head talk, say, Hey man, we got to do better. You know, we got to fight harder, whatever it might be, but just being uh, positive. So it ended up being 17 steps. That's where it started. And how many times when I talk about that at business, you know, uh, everybody's got that, you know, mm-hmm. get out of your office, go take a, take a walk, do something, reset. You're kind of resetting. And I had to do it too at home with my, my, you know, I had three boys at home at the time. My wife was working and there were so many times I took, I took my work home with me. You know, I'd be home worrying about how we're going to win the next one. Who am I going to, how are we going to get this recruit? And my wife said one day, said, Hey man, you're home, but you're not home. That hit home, you know, wow. cause I wasn't. And so I started the same thing uh, after, before I got out of the car. Okay, man. Maybe you shut your cell phone off. Maybe you go in and pay attention to your wife and kids, you know, and that helped too, you know, as a reset. And so uh, that just became a habit and it just becomes, and I, and, and I got to tell you, that happens so many times. Every time I was going to teach class before I get there, because how you bring the energy into your classroom makes a huge difference, you know. If before I go do a speaking event, trust me, every single time, boom, it's going to be reset. Let's let's ha- let's do this. You know, positive stuff. You bring positive energy, more likely you're going to have a positive event. And uh, so, yeah, that's long story short. That's where it started. Practice, and uh, it's evolved into almost everything I do. How were you able to do that when it seemed almost like it was impossible? to do that where things were just so the bags were so heavy that it was hard to just shrug them off. You compartmentalize, man, no matter how bad it is, I'm compartmentalizing, man. I'm going to practice. We're going to have a great practice. I leave. And I told athletes this too. Hey, whatever you got, I'm going to put it in my locker. I'm going to put it in the sock, put it in my shoe, put it in my locker. I'll get back to it when I get out. But practice. And I tell athletes the same thing. Hey, don't, don't come in, leave it in your car, leave it in your apartment, whatever. And uh, so we didn't bring that stuff into practice. We didn't bring it. And so that just became a habit, man. Here, I'm not bringing it in. 
And what and you know what? And if after a good practice, you're so much more equipped to f- solve whatever it is. Same with kids. Hey man, you want, you need some help with that? Cause I knew one of the athletes had a problem with this or that. So many times after we, we talked about it before practice or that during the day, we had a great practice and I'd say something, they say, Hey coach, don't worry about it. I got it. Ain't no big deal. So it became a less of a problem because you felt really good about the practice. You're motivated because you got a good practice and you're more, you're more motivated to solve that issue, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, you were, the other thing was you were telling the story about uh, your wife saying that you're not home or you're home, but you're not home. Yeah. Reminds me of, um, I believe Dan Gable was kind of told the same thing um, during their winning streak that um, he wasn't home enough, you know, yeah. but he yeah. was too much, too many eggs in the basket of the wrestling yeah. team and not enough in the, and he's like, yeah. wow, that really shook me as like a husband, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And Kathy, his wife is named Kathy too. She was very strong. She's, she, you know, and, and his girls, I think spoke up as well. You know, they wanted to see dad. They wanted to be a part mm-hmm. of it. You know, they want, uh, so anyway, yeah. Yeah. How did, how did you kind of then adjust? You said just you applied the 17th step to when you got home in your vehicle, when you're about ready to get out. That's yeah. When you kind of walking in, Hey man, forget about these issues you got. If there are any, just pay attention. Made a big difference to go in and say, ask the what, tell what, how's your day? What'd you do today? How's the kids? And go talk to the kids, you know, hey, what'd you learn in school? What'd you do? Hey, how'd the game go? Or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all, you know, all of a sudden you kind of change it instead of being about you, you put it on how, let's find out what's about them, you know? And I, and I would tell other people, hey man, 9.30, my kids went to bed, just call me at 9.30. Or I'll call you back after they go to bed. Wasn't that big a deal? Mm-hmm. Really didn't miss out on anything, you know? So, you know, I did, I started, I had a 20, 25 minute drive because I lived in Cedar Falls, mm-hmm. coached in Wartburg. I, I tried to make, say I was going to have three or four or five recruit calls. I do it on the way home, you know? So I'd get that out of the way or I'd call a booster or, or, you know, if I had something, I, I was fundraising or I try to do some of that on the way home. And then when I got home, okay, here we go. You're home, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. How You said you didn't miss much or anything. That must have been nice to have that flexibility to be able to still have the success, but then on the other hand, be, you know, be, be dad because. Yeah. I mean, I had to get better at it. Yeah. yeah especially yeah. as good as you were, you know, so it's almost a 24 seven deal. To yeah, it was. I felt like it was. For example, when I got out of coaching, a couple that first week, I woke up and I said, I slept through the night. Holy cow, I slept through the night. Because that rarely happened when I was coaching. I don't know why, but I'd wake up, you know, thinking about athletes, thinking about recruiting, thinking about events, thinking about winning or, you know, the big, you know, it, it it was all encompassing. The the coaching was. I loved it, but I didn't sleep through the night, typically, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that was how it was like a wow moment when I realized, man, <laughs> oh, it's a crazy profession. I loved it, but it's a crazy profession. Are you sleeping through the nights now? I am. Yeah. Still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you have someone like Becca working with you, I'm sure it's. 
a lot easier to. That has a gym. Yeah. She's a, she takes on the good part is it's kind of like coaching, mm-hmm. you know, who you want to hire as an assistant. For me personally, I always wanted to hire people that weren't exactly the same. Maybe their strengths was different than my strengths. You know, maybe, you know, I wasn't great at strength training. I did it, but I didn't think I was very good at it. But when I hired somebody that loved it, oh man, our strength training took off because they loved it, what they were doing. And I was just doing it because we had to have somebody to do it if I was doing it, right? And so you try to find people that that uh, mesh with what, what like, if, like with Becca, for example, you brought Becca up. I'm terrible. I'm not good at social media. She loves it. She's great at social media. I'm not good at merchandise and what should we buy and all that stuff. She's great at that. She loves it. She likes putting on events. You know, I like talking at events, but I'm not great setting up events, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not set. I'm not good at decorating events. And so, but she is. And so, you know, I get a lot of, hey, man, what a great event. I get a lot of pats on the back for most of the stuff that she does. I love watching your social media. I don't, I do too. I do too. <laughs> but, you know, that's Becca. So, yeah. So, you know, when you, when she's been a very good fit and, and uh, she's been great for the museum. Yeah. I think you both have been, you know, she has been, you have been, you know, the museum seems like it's almost somewhat taken off a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I hear that a lot. Hey man, I mean, it's like our event last, uh, Glenn Brand, we said, hey, it's, it's become the go-to event for Iowa Hall of Fame or whatever. It's been the go-to event, but it is a go-to event. I mean, it is a, a thing. And, you know, I've been here, me and Becca both been here four years. We haven't had a bad event. I mean, we've, and I, our events have been pretty good or great, really. Mm-hmm. And so you, you you love seeing that, you love hearing that but you love doing it because it's for the sport of wrestling. You know, you're really trying to lift up wrestling when you have a great event. That's what happens. People come away loving that they were there and they, and they love, uh, you know, honoring great people that have helped wrestling or whatever the event might be. So it's an easy sell for us, you know, man, Beck, we love doing it. And uh, she's a, she's should get most of the credit for, uh, for the event. Uh, all the stuff that she she goes into, but I'm just I'm just uh, grateful that she's uh, here with us. Yeah, what's uh, what's the future in store for for you? I don't know. This is the future, I think, for the short term. I mean, same thing in coaching, man. I never took it more than a year at a time, mm-hmm. and same thing here. You know, I'm not going to take it more than a year at a time. You know, I uh, let's see. Today is Monday. Wednesday, I'm 70. I turned 70 on. Oh Wednesday. wow! Yeah, man. Doesn't feel like 70. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But uh, most of the people that I went to school with, they're all retired, you know, but I got no intention of retiring. I mean, I love what I'm doing. I love getting up. I got to have something to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to have something to do to, to enhance our sport if I can. So this has uh, been great. But uh, yeah, a year at a time, but we'll see. Yeah, well, happy, happy early birthday. Yeah, man. <laughs> 70. Yeah. Um, last question, you know. Um, You've motivated a lot of people and been inspirational to a lot of people, but who were your motivators and inspirational people when you were growing up and even today? Oh, I think there's been plenty. I was, I've been lucky because like mm-hmm. I said, when I went to high school, I had a lot of growing up watching wrestling 
a lot of very good um, role models uh, type people that uh, went to East Waterloo. Obviously, guys like Dan Gable was at West Waterloo. Bob Sins uh, was a mentor for my for me. Keith Young, who was a three-time national champion for Iowa State teachers. He was at Cedar Falls. So many people took time to help me, you know, growing up and mentor me. So I looked at them. I looked at them. I had a lot of good examples with my family. So I just very fortunate, man, to number one, Waterloo was just growing up where athletics was a big deal to be in athletics. Uh, uh, getting coverage by the Waterloo Courier, a guy named Russ Smith was phenomenal sports editor and so forth. So I don't know. I just right place, right time, I think, again, for me. But uh, I don't know. I look back and just realize, man, I'm just very grateful, forever grateful for a lot of those things I mentioned. Yeah. Have you been able to just kind of appreciate and understand the gravity of what you've done for the sport? You know, usually it's day to day for me, what we're doing, but yeah, there's, I get reminders all the time, man. Uh, you know, whether somebody bought the book or somebody comes in the museum, uh, I got a, I got a couple drawers full of thank you cards and stuff for one thing or another from athletes or, uh, just people that uh, has appreciated what's going on here, what has happened in my career and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just really lucky. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Jim Miller, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. You can also check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my brand new Facebook page to hear more of my content. And once again, don't forget to check out my new website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always... Be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. Take care. We'll see you next time. Yeah.